Hi, this is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries in Newport News, Virginia, and we're going through the book of Genesis. Um, and as you can see, I actually have uh, moved this just to 2020. It was in the spring of 2020, but as we move through Genesis, this might go into 2021. Um, but the key verse uh, that we have, and, and this really is for all of Genesis, is God make a man in his likeness and image. And so um, we're going to do a, a quick review of chapter 1 and 2 to bring us into chapter 3 that we were talking about last time. And we're actually going to um, tie up chapter 3 today. So, so it's sort of an arc here. Um, and let me go through this with you. So the introduction to Genesis, uh, it's different from other creation stories. There's uh, two viewpoints on creation. Um, and they're more, more fully explain what happened. They dovetail very nicely together. Uh, they're from different perspectives. One is more uh, global cosmic perspective, and other is a perspective from mankind's uh, pers perspective. Um, it's very straightforward, logical, meaningful, coherent. It's, it's not intended to be a fairy tale. It's told as the truth, and it's, it's given to the Israelites as they're at Mount Sinai. Uh, after they've left Egypt and they're at the base of Mount Sinai and they're receiving the Ten Commandments and other instructions from God, and, 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 uh, which are uh, contained in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Bible. And um, the, the account there is, discusses all creation, the cosmos, the earth, animals, and mankind. Um, it's very specifically crafted to make sure that the Israelites understand that there is only one God. In fact, even when he talks about the, the uh, sun and moon, he doesn't call them the sun or moon because there's no terms for sun and moon that were not linked with the God. So he talks about the lesser light and the greater light. And so you get this idea that, and this is going to come into play as we, we tie up chapter 3, that there is only one God and there are not other gods out there. And so the, the, some of the stuff that we're going to hit is going to be uh, when you look it through the lens, you understand what's going on here. So uh, I'll leave that for a little bit later. And then there's uh, um, uh, no other account really discusses time and its significance. Um, this whole creation, God's whole creation, which is a gift to mankind, uh, puts us in a space-time matrix that does something that um, is wonderful, uh, so, so uh, the devil that we'll be talking about a bit more today, and angelic beings and spiritual beings, um, they comprehend things fully at one time. It's not, it's not a time sequence. And so their rebellion, when they rebelled, it was a known rebellion which there could be repentance from. But man is put into a, a time-space matrix where, where we sinned and we have a chance for redemption. And so we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Uh, again, six days of furnishing of the world, um, light and dark, sky and sea, land, and then sun, stars, and moon filling that light and dark, the sea and air animals filling the sky and sea, and then the, uh, the land being filled with uh, land, land animals and men, uh, especially. And then we have the Sabbath. And again, the Sabbath is very integral to our understanding of who we are and how we interact with God. That's a time in which in which we are most like God in the sense because God sits in uh, God God does creation but for for the, the the time of reflection and the time of thinking and the time of creation uh, thoughts and ideas and stuff um, is a time we can share on the Sabbath with God and so we talked about that in another I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this um, but Genesis 1 26 through 27 talks about man being, the, um, uh, the crown of creation. Um, it says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And again, as I alluded to, uh, everywhere in, in Genesis, there is this emphasis on there's only one God. There are no other gods. In fact, the whole Pentateuch is very strong on that. And, uh, and we see that in the Ten Commandments, the first three of the Ten Commandments. And yet here, we see the plural, our image, our likeness. And, and, it, it, this must have been a conundrum to the Jewish people, and, and this is 
the fact that it was preserved accurately is a testimony to the uh, preservation of Scripture, because just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you can change it. And so they knew there was one God, and it says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And again, at the end of chapter 3, it says man has now become like us. And so what is it being talked about? And we talked about this could be the plural of royalty. You know, when the queen says, uh, Queen Elizabeth says something, that says, we are not pleased. It, she's talking about she is not pleased type of thing. Um, and so a king or queen can use that plural of majesty. And then there's the... Um, uh, the heavenly court that he's speaking to the heavenly court, but but again, we are not made in the image of angels and others, and we, and there are no other gods. That's very so. What is he talking about? We know now, in, in retrospect, that this was hidden in there to come out in the fullness of time. That this is the Trinity, and so he's talking with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And part of what it is to be created in God in the image of of God in the likeness of God is that we are one, one mankind, and yet we are community. You know, we are more than one, too. And so man is not just an individual. He is more than that. And that, again, comes into play a little bit later as we talk about three in more detail and bring in some passages from Romans. And so, um, so man in our image and our likeness, and then he had dominion, dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And uh, again, there's three kinds of, um, of, of uh, land animals, just the livestock, and then it says over all the earth, really the uh, wild animals, and that's, that's cleared up a little later in verse 29. And then over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And so we're going to talk a little about that too in a second. And then man, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, it's very important to understand that, uh, again, we see in chapter 2 that man and, and woman were created at significantly different times. Man named, named the animals, Garnabit planted. He, he named all the animals, and he fell into sleep, and then woman was taken from the side of man. Um, but for creation purposes, they are created at the same time as one. Man is one, and yet separate. Too. So we want to talk a little about that as we go into that. And so uh, Genesis chapter 2, fast forwarding into chapter 2. So for Adam, no super, suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and brought her to man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And again, here we see that woman is taken out of man. God did not do a separate creation from woman. That, that mankind is one, a unity here, and, and that when Adam saw Eve, he was flabbergasted. The, the, the prose here, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will call, be called woman because she was taken out of man. He is awestruck. Okay? And that, come, again, comes into play in just a second because uh, they're in the garden in chapter 3, and the serpent, who's more crafty than any of the wild animals, the Lord God had made, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? Now, that, that, that command, by the way, was not given to woman. It was given to man. It was given to Adam before woman was created. But it was communicated, obviously, because Eve says, a woman said to the serpent, we may eat tree from the, uh, fruit from the tree of the gardens. But God did say, you must not eat the, tree, uh, eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So, that's she's adding a little here, and this is information dropout and information addition, probably from things, not total communication. Um, and the serpent goes in and says, "You will certainly not die." So he's he's questioning. It. He says, "For God knows, when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened, and you will know, be like God, knowing good from evil." Now, we have to. It's hard. We read these things so many times; it's hard to understand. She didn't know what good and evil was. I, there was, I mean, but but something's being offered. She don't know what it is, but 
all of a sudden you want something, you know. So um, when the woman saw the tree of the uh, the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye. I don't know how she knew it was good for food, but pleasing to the eye certainly, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. What what? What was she thinking? You say, what was she thinking? And 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 uh, it was such a simple command. It's so easy to obey. Um, really, uh, this comes back. I think the Lord's Prayer. You know, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the struggle of whose will dominates, who wills controls our life. And in this instant, she wants what she wants. They say the heart wants what it wants. And she wanted that fruit. She had no idea what wisdom is. She didn't even know what death is either, except that uh, perhaps she saw animals dying, perhaps in, in the garden. But did she really know what death was? And, and she had no idea. But she saw it, and she took it and ate it, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her. And, he ate it. and by the way, I, I, I do think there, there's something while well, he was with her in the garden, but I think the implication here is that he was there. Okay, she, she was there, and he was there, and he might even been listening to this, or maybe he was distracted on something else, but he was nearby uh, and, and knew what was going on, and, and, and she ate it, and then he ate it. And, um, and then their eyes were opened, okay, because when they ate it, um, they sinned. They rebelled against God. They said, I know better than you, God, what to do. And so they took it, and they sinned, and they were in rebellion. And so their spirit died that day. They, they, the, the spirit of God died. In the day you eat of this, you shall surely die, was true. And, and they knew something was missing, and they realized they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So, so this is the interesting thing. They, they know something's missing, and they latch on the fact that they're physically naked. And so they cover themselves because they're trying to hide something. They're trying to hide their rebellion, but you can't hide that, so you can hide your body. And so, so it's not that, that being naked is sinful. It was that, it's that, the, that when we have sin in our lives, we try to cover things up in physical ways, too. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be not wearing clothes either, because uh, there's again we have the sin is is there's just this is a sinful world and and uh, and desires run amok in our world and that we're going to see a lot of things run amok in this world now because of this this crash, and so we see the uh, we see that in Genesis um, eight, the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And again, the Lord God we talked about is translated Jehovah. It's actually, uh, but it's actually um, Yahweh Elohim. There is is actually a two in here, and there. Uh, I'm sorry, just Yahweh. Excuse me, is in here, but this is the personal name of God. So this is being used in chapter two and in three in the narrative. And the Lord God called to man and said, "Where are you?" Um, and the man answered, I heard, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because there's naked. Now, here's afraid, too. This is something that you hadn't seen before. He's afraid. He was naked, so I hid. Um, and so and, and so this whole chain, it's not just covering. He, he realizes that he's afraid of things. I, he knows there's going to be a, this punishment, death. He doesn't know what it is, per se. And, uh, and he hides, um, like kids hide. It's like... That's not going to stop the punishment, but we still do it. I mean, we do that with God. It's not just kids that hide; adults hide from God too, and and from each other when they do um, when they sin against each other. Um, and God said to them, um, uh, and He said, "Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from?" And we, we, we obviously, this is a rhetorical question. He knows what's happened. He knows what's going on here. Uh, and then we see, again, this the blame game. So there's two responses here. The, the man uh, says, he, he, first he blames the woman, then he blames God. The woman, the woman you put here with me, no longer my wife or bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, yet that woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, the tree, and I ate it. I mean, <laughs> what was I to do? You know, 
Um, this is an advocation of his leadership roles. And the question is, what if he had an Eden? And we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but this is what happened, okay? So he ate. Um, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? I love the woman's answer. Um, she comes out, maybe not noble, uh, but certainly direct. Um, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She, no excuses here, The serpent, except maybe the serpent deceived me. But she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. That's the story. And um, it's, it's a very interesting uh, response. Now, another interesting thing is God doesn't ask the serpent. The serpent could talk, remember? It's tempting. But he doesn't ask the serpent because, again, he knows what's going on here. And like a, um, uh, a desperate ruler of old, um, uh, 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 who controls everything autocratically, God then pronounces on these things. And see, this is the thing is, you can argue, you think, some people think they can argue with God and get, they, well, I did it. God, you don't argue with God. God knows it all anyway, and he knows the intentions of your heart. So there is no argument with God. Um, and so, so man's trying to deflect the blame. Woman, she's pretty smart. She understands, he knows what's going on here. And then, and then we get this response, the Lord God, said to the serpent, because you have done this, you will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate of the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Uh, by the sweat of your brow you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since it, from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Because the spirit has died in them now. So they have the physical body, they have animated life, but this is now the, the, the pronouncement on here. Um, and we're going to take that apart and then summarize it somewhat. So the serpent, um, he said, cursed of you about, of all livestock and all wild animals. So there's three creations of land animals. There's the wild animals, the tip-top, and the serpent was the most tip-top. He was the, the top of the food chain. And then the domesticated animals and the creepy crawly things. And he says... Um, you will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. So the serpent goes from being the top of the animals to the bottom of the food chain. <coughs> There's suffering there, obviously. I mean, I, I'm sure that it's not a, a, a best way of moving through certainly uh, rough ground and stuff like that. And, and the fact that the serpent doesn't necessarily eat dust, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, doesn't eat dust literally. Uh, we use that expression quite a bit. So you know, eat dirt, buddy. Yo, you're you're uh, saying it's just an expression of um, of uh, your face is in the ground type of thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so the serpent would suffer uh, in all aspects of life in, in this, and we should also remember that this this curse is not against the physical serpent per se. It did affect the serpent. Okay, so the the Satan inhabited the body of the serpent, but serpent the but the, the snake still uh, all all his progeny still crawls on the ground, uh, and in some some um, very liberal theologians I, I, or historians whatever talk about this this the whole creation story a large part of it is to explain how we got snakes. It's not, you can't read this and really think that. I mean, yes, it does talk about how we got snakes, but that's not the primary thing here. And we even, even with the curse, we can see here in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And we see in Revelations 12, 9, the last bullet on this thing, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, deceiver of the world was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. He is the deceiver. He was who deceived mankind. Okay, 
And so we see here the promise of a redeemer, though, too. Uh, and we see, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Uh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And then we see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we may receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent you the spirit of a son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we at one time were slaves to sin, but now we're heirs and we're sons of God. And so we see in this beautiful, even in this curse of of the serpent, we see this promise of redemption. Very early in here, in the fullness of time, it came through Christ. For the woman, she says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Um, So the two roles of a woman, to have children and to be a partner with her husband, are affected. For once, she's going to have suffering, pain, and childbirth. Apparently, that was not the original plan. Okay, so the, the fall the eating, the temptation, when we ate of the tree of life, affected everything. It affected not only the serpent and man and woman, it affected nature, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but the primary thing it did was cause suffering. Suffering is us experiencing the results of the fall. There was no suffering before the fall, and in redemption uh, and eternity with Christ, there'll be no more suffering. Uh, But in this interim time, suffering... If we're not suffering, we're not really living in the world. It's something we are not facing the reality that things are not right here, um, and uh, and so the woman have children. She, she'll suffer for that now. She'll. And it's not that. And it does say, by the way, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. This is not just collateral damage of nature. This is a punishment of God. Okay, but it's a it's a a, a punishment on. Um, not a woman specifically, but I mean kind and on everything. The woman bears the brunt on this. I, I don't want to do this. I, I um, this week became a grandfather, and uh, to tell a little story on my daughter, who's uh, just had the baby uh, at 26 weeks. The baby's in ICU right now, but doing well. But uh, when she was five years old, she said, "You know, it doesn't have. You don't have any pain when you have a baby," and I, and I think. Where was my little phone then that I could tape that? Because since my son has made, one of my sons has made similar pronouncements like that, and not like in that area, but it's something, everything. And I said, let me tape that so I can play that back to you later. I did that a few weeks ago. And I thought, isn't it nice to have a little phone that I can play that back on? So, but um, there is pain. It is painful. Uh, and, and my daughter knew that after she, when she grew up, five years old, you know, you get those things. Um, and she experienced it, certainly, uh, with this early delivery and emergency C-section. There's pain now. This world is a world of pain and sorrow. Um, and if we are in it properly, we experience that. And when I, I say that, I say, uh, as believers, we've been, um, we've been uh, there's been an amelioration of this thing. In fact, uh, if you look at and I don't have time to go into it, but if you look at 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, Paul talks about women being kept safe through childbirth. And he's talking about that. And, and he's saying, he's, he's talking about this, uh, uh, this uh, struggle with men and women, husband and wife, over supremacy and or organization and, and partnership. But he's saying, but he, but he, let's, he, and he's saying basically still, that a husband is head of a household over a wife. But he also says, nevertheless, a woman shall be kept safe through childbirth. And what he's saying is the punishment is still there, but it's been ameliorated in Christ. And one day it's eliminated, okay? Uh, and we're, the second thing here is, uh, is a striving in, for supremacy in the relationship. So man and woman created equal. We know that 
because they were created in God's image. And we know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal. We know that, okay? Although in our head, sometimes we say the Father is superior to say, and the Father does, does um, the, the plan, it says in Ephesians, that the Father planned, the Son sacrificed, and the Spirit seals us. So, um, the, but the Father sent the Son. The Son went willingly, and, and this is what should have been there. Husband and wife were supposed to be partners. Yes, there was a head to that, the leadership in that thing, but it was not, it was not something to be cavalierly exercised and stuff. It was there to, because there has to be a lead on things, okay? And, and in a good marriage, there shouldn't be a bunch of arguments about who's going to do this or that. And I was talking with our son last night, Lucy and I were, and, 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 you know, we try to talk things out. I'm not saying we don't have arguments, but, but really this being the household is, that doesn't come into play once a year in our thing because most decisions are made by consensus. And so it was there, but now that's no longer there. Okay. And, and I say once a year, maybe it's a little bit more often than, than once a year or whatever. But the problem is, is it's there. Okay. I'm not so, and when it's there, it's there in spades. It's a problem. It's big. You know, it's an issue. And so this is part of the fall. The fall is now that there's going to be a jockey in for who gets to make decisions in the household. Okay. When they don't agree. Okay. And not only that, but a lot of times the disagreement that that's, that's part of that whole thing is, the, the freedom, I, I can do what I want to. I'm my own person type thing. And that's not how it was made to be, okay? Decisions were meant to be made together. I mean, you're married. Your decisions are supposed to be made together. You're supposed to be on the same side at the table, not other sides pulling each other. But I have, so, so the fall affected our relationships, okay? It affected the women trying to strive for headship with the man, but it affected the man too because the, the man didn't exercise the authority he should. And, and we'll see that in, in this next section when he says, when God says into Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the free. Now, it's not that he listened to his wife. It's that he listened to his wife instead of God. That's the issue here, okay? Man was supposed to be listening to God, not to his wife. Not that the, and when the, and when the, um, when there was contrary information there, he was to listen to God. And now he, he, there's contrary information and he listened to his wife. And so this whole headship thing has got mucked up. It's been very, um, it's been very twisted. And so we have trouble. We don't say, this is not, by the way, just husband and wife. This is all authority. This is, this is government. This is everything else. We do not like to submit to other people. And yet we were created as a community in which we have to submit to other people. We have, submission has to occur for there to be order, order and organization and, and structure and so uh, in the world. And we'll see what happens when that doesn't happen. Chapter, chapter 3 and 4 uh, and 5 talk about that. So we'll be, we'll be going there very soon. But right now, let, let's leave that on this one and go on to man's specific punishment. Um, the ground is cursed for him. Now, he is not cursed. By the way, the woman is not cursed, and the man is not cursed. The serpent is cursed, and the ground is cursed. We're punished, but we're not cursed. There's a difference there. Um, but the ground is cursed. Think about that. So uh, Eve is the one who took the fruit, but the serpent is cursed. Um, man is the one who sinned on the, uh, by eating of the fruit, too, and yet the ground is cursed. And, and Paul actually has something to say about that, and we're going to get into that in a section. A second. But cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will uh, eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So man is a provider and is a producer too. His role is effective. And uh, creation is no longer cooperative with man. So um, uh, I, I, uh, I like dad jokes and I like little, uh, collect little memes on uh, Facebook and stuff. And just before I came here, I saved a meme that said, person said, going to go outside and sit on the back of the porch. And then underneath it says 207 mosquitoes have liked this status update, you know, 
now we have mosquitoes in our life. Now we have termites. Now we have all kinds of different things going on. We have we have weeds. Okay, my cucumber plant looks like looks black underneath because it's got aphids on the leaf. You know, I'm thinking, oh, what am I? What's happening here? Because nature has been thrown out of kilter. Okay, um, so something happened when that fruit happened that threw everything out. Okay, now how far does that extend? I don't know. It's just the earth. My, I, I, I think creation got affected. Well, how could that happen? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know that it did happen. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, a, I'm agnostic there. I just don't know. I don't know. Um, but I know that things got affected on Earth, okay, because it, it says that, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that in a minute. Let's go to the end of this uh, chapter, and then we'll circle back into the passages on Romans I want to talk about. So the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, um, some people have speculated there was no death uh, in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall, and that these garments of skin uh, were the first death when he had to take animals and make skins for God did. Uh, others just say that, it's, that, that there's a symbolism there in the fact that an animal had to be sacrificed for man's sins. And as, I don't know about that, but I, that pointed out, um, and uh, he names his wife Eve. So man still exerts the authority. He names his wife. Um, it must have been a hard relationship. I mean, I of course, there's only two around, okay? But still, you threw me under the bus. You know, I just, I just like, um, it's just, I, 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 there's, there's, I wonder the acrimony in this at times, um, but um, it says, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, again, a reference to the Trinity, in knowing good from evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and live forever, and is left hanging there, because if he took the, he would live forever in his sin. He might have, a, he might have eternal life, but it'd be in a world that was defaced by sin. And so, God um, sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground in which he was taken, and then it puts it more forcefully, he drove the man out into the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the, tree, the way to the Tree of Life. And so, um, so the Israelites sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments and other things, this is the story they understand. This is not a fairy tale. This is not presented as, uh, and, and people like to mythologize it now. The, some liberal theologians say there's lots of creation stories and falls and stuff like that. There is none like this. This is unique. This is really presented very straightforward in a very straightforward, orderly way. It has the ring of truth when you really sit down and look at it. Um, it, it but we're going to come up with ways to get around it. And, 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 and there are other creation stories, and some are similar. There are other false stories, and some are similar. Because all truth is God's truth, and there's corruptions of the true story out there. Just because there are corruptions out there does not mean that one is not true, though. And that's where we, we have to come down and say, this is the story. This is the truth. Um, and let, let me go into these passages on Romans before I finish up. And... Um, so Romans chapter 8 is very interesting. So Paul, very steep. Paul was, um, Paul was, um, Paul probably knew the Old Testament. And by the way, the Jewish Bible is the same as our Old Testament. They're, they're, reor they're organized a little differently, but the texts are exactly the same. The, the same books, the same chapters, same, same, same words are in there, okay? Um, and he probably knew it by, by heart. Um, and and my, when, I, when I say by heart, I mean like photographically by heart, like being able to read, pronounce, do an entire book and only have a few words missing or this or that. So, so, um, so he knew this very well, and he thought on this a long time. And Romans is sometimes called Paul's gospel. And Paul explains what happened and how we're redeemed and what it means to be a Christian. And in chapter 8, when he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit and living the life and suffering 
It, it says we will be united with Christ and heirs with Christ if we suffer as he suffered, okay? And then it goes into this passage, okay? He introduces suffering at the end of, uh, uh, just before verse 18, and goes into it here to pick up on what those sufferings are. And he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So, and we're going to talk about the sons of God again in a couple chapters, but the, the sons of God are those are our believers. They're the, the ones that, that follow God. They're, they're one. Not perfect, okay? Uh, and not just men. The sons of God is a generic term for the children of God, okay? That, 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 uh, that have uh, the uh, heir, uh, that are heirs to, the, to God as a son would be, okay? Not, and, um, and so um, creation waits an eager longing for that. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So, you know, nature didn't go along with this on its own. God did this. God cursed the ground. God caused, so you say eating the fruit, did it cause something? Some, they, no, God cursed the, the ground on this, um, who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's this, this, Longing for creation to be set free, um, and we'll, there'll be it'll be in glory like we'll be in glory. There's this, this, this will be a much better place. This will be a greater world. Um, but but God did this so that, that nature of creation would would enjoy the the redemption of of mankind too. And then he goes back. And this is why. You can tell he's been meditating on this this whole passage. Probably about he's this it, this has its roots back in Genesis three. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth unto now. He has to be thinking about the, the the woman, you know, pain in childbirth. Nature is is in pains of childbirth too. Not only on crea- creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he's specifically talking to believers here, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, which means we've been born again through the Spirit of God in there. Um, and we groan eagerly, inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I, I, I tell you, um, um, I, I just became a grandfather, and now I'm, uh, I've qualified for Social Security a couple months ago. And... Uh, and uh, I groan inwardly <laughs> and outwardly sometimes as I eagerly await for my adoption of son, the redemption of my body, okay? There will be something wonderful happen. The, the, the good news is great news. It's wonderful news. And, 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 but I tell you this, there's still bad news here, okay? We're still stuck in a sinful body. We're still stuck in a body that's falling apart, that... that uh, you know, um, you know, the descriptions in middle age, you know, your arms aren't long enough to pull, pull out far enough to reach a book you want to read, or hair grows in places you don't want to grow, but not where you want it to grow type of thing. And, and, and things don't, we're falling apart. But the good news is that, yeah, that's because of the, how nature has, has, again, been subjected to suffering, and we with it, but it will be redeemed. Things will be great. Things will be wonderful. And I think part of why God lets us live through the, you know, I think, you know, I became a believer when I was 16, I'm 62 now. You could have shortened that up a little, the other side. Part of it is I think he wants us to understand just what this is, just what, so we can really appreciate it. It's like you work and work and work for something and you finally get it, you appreciate it a lot more than if it's given to you. I think part of what it is to be left here um, to go through this. It certainly is to share with other people and to grow and to produce ourselves and to, to redeem, to be redeemed in our spirit and to, and to grow in our love for God. But part of it too is that we experience the pain and suffering that's, that sin has really caused. So we understand just how bad it is. We, many times, we, you know, we should just ate it from the tree. You know? Yeah, but that was the, that was the, 
epitome decision that we make all the time when we say, I want what I want, not what God wants. We sin over and over again, and there's a result from that on a massive scale, massive suffering. Um, For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? Now, this is why I say, if you're a believer, and you, you say you're not suffering because you're a believer and you've been redeemed, I don't think you're living in the world, in the world that Paul is talking about here. Because Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We have to wait patiently. Yes, we do suffer things. And there are things, and I, I'm sure a lot of people, um, they thought about it, the things that they, they say, I don't understand, God, how you could let that happen. I don't care what's on the other end. There's uh, uh, Dostoevsky and uh, the brothers Karen resolves that there's uh, this whole talk about if there's if these things happen, there can be no response. There can be no way there can be a God because nothing could ever. There could be no greater future that could ever justify. What in, in a lot of the discussions about children and horrible abuses and. Um, we have to trust that there is a reason for everything and that, that there is a justification for it too. And part of that justification is God has made us independent moral beings and given us choices that we are then responsible for. And if, if, if you take away all the consequences of choice, then there is no real choice. Okay, so. So there, if you really make a choice, you bear the fruit of that choice. And so, and that falls, unfortunately, on others as well. And again, we are created as one, okay? So we're created individually, but we're created as one too. And that's the next passage that I want to talk about. So Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19, Jesus, the new Adam, our Redeemer. So again, he pulls out of Genesis a lot. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, sin came to all people because all sinned. And again, he's able to say sin came through one man because Adam and Eve were one. Eve was taken from him. So she sinned, he sinned, they both sinned, one sinned is the essence. Um, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. Now, you know, he's talking about the law given at Mount Sinai. Um, uh, and the Pentateuch, the Ten Commandments, and others. Um, but the sin was not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, up to the time the law was given, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one who is to come. So he talks about death reigned from the time. He, just, be, just because there was no written now, law did not excuse people from bearing the brunt of their decisions and rebellion to God. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can, nor can the gift of God be compared with the results of one man's sins. The judgment that followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the, sin, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more do those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let me stop right there. <coughs> the gift is not like the trespass because um, many died from the trespass of one and many will live because of the obedience of one man. This does not teach universalism. It does not teach that all died through Adam and all lived through Christ because he actually takes a little bit of time here to talk about uh, at the very end um, how much more those who will receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness in the life and life of one man through Jesus Christ. So there is a, a response here. So, so um, uh, St. Augustine, um, who I, I regard, regard as the greatest theologian, um, uh, aside from Paul. And, uh, and, and a lot of what he said echoed Paul, basically. Um, so, but but um, he, he did write a book called The City of God. 
I mean, basically said mankind is divided into two camps now. There's the city of God and the city of man. And we'll see that through here. We're going to see that in chapter 3, 4, 5, when we go on here, that there are people that follow God and, and honor God and love God, and those will be in eternity with God. And there are those that are the city of man. I, I did it. You know, the theme song to hell is, is I did it my way. You know, you know it's... Uh, it, and, and that's a choice we make. Um, we don't make it, we do make it, there is a one-time choice, but there's also a daily choice on that. Um, and there are times believers choose the good, and there's time uh, unbelievers choose the good, and there's time believers choose the bad. Um, I really wish that I could say that when you're a believer, you just don't have that same temptation, the same thing. Uh, but you do. The difference is you've got the Spirit, and hopefully you're relying on the Spirit, and the Spirit is empowering you to do the right thing, and you're, you're better than you would have been if you were a non-believer. But you may not be better than other unbelievers. There might be more righteous unbelievers out there than you, but you personally are better than you would have been if you were an unbeliever because God is changing you and making you better. And, 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 and uh, so you get believers that are great men uh, with great flaws, um, but God is changing them, but they still have great flaws. Okay? Um, Christianity is not necessarily, there's not two groups of people out here, the better and, you know, the, the, better and the bad type thing. There's, there's this two groups of people that um, that one that is getting is is bettering themselves through the spirit of God, okay, uh, and hopefully on their own doing in their own effort too. And then there's others that are just doing better on their own, and and ones quite frankly, there's a lot of doing better on their own that outstrip those are that are depending on God. Sometimes it's because we say we depend on God and we really don't. We just want a shield, and yet. Our, uh, the the gospel has sprung through the and spread through the Roman Empire and through Western Europe, and and it transformed that society. And things that were done for centuries have been extirpated and and pulled out and drawn out. And so we get into this modern society, and there's a uh, there's a um, angst at all the wrong that's there, and there is a lot in this world. But what we don't even realize is that angst comes because we've been educated that it shouldn't be this way because of the gospel, okay? And because all men are created equal, because, um, you know, we sh we're part of a community and we should be together. You know, it, those are things that come from the gospel, and even unbelievers join that fruit, okay? And, and they would say that all people are equal. Well, there's, there's no teaching for that any place, really except the gospel, okay? Not all religions teach that everyone's equal, and evolution certainly wouldn't teach that. The concept of quality is meaningless uh, with, if, if you don't believe in a, a creator God or, or something to determine what, is, what equality even means. But we have that. We have that gospel heritage in this country and in this world, and it's a blessing. But, but it holds us to a standard that we can't achieve. Believers or unbelievers, we can't achieve that standard. This doesn't mean we shouldn't try, though. But it, it just we need to understand we're not going to be there uh, until the other side of it. Oh, religion's pie in the sky. Yeah, it is. It really is. There, there's benefits now, and, and, and the gospel's transformed the world, and things are better. But really, the ultimate, the jackpot, you know, if you want to say the lottery or whatever, it's... The, the, there's gold at the end of that rainbow. There's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We're waiting for that. And Paul says, listen, if that's not there, you're more to be pitied than all men, okay? There is something much greater out there, and yet there's something here now for us too. So we, we, we finish up this passage and section. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. And let me close and say this. So there's a lot of different ways where people 
understand how we're saved and what we're saved to and stuff like that. I'm going to give you, it stands in the Orthodox tradition, um, but there, it's not the only belief out there. Um, I believe that when we, uh, and this passage I believe teaches, and if you read the rest of Romans, teaches that when we become a believer, we become spiritually united with Christ. That's why it says the church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, and it talks about us being, that in Ephesians, all things being united under one head in Christ. We are spiritually united with Christ in a way that is a reality. Not see, the problem is we think of spiritually is less real, but it's more real. And so that it talks about us being seated in the heavenly realms in Christ with Christ in Colossians. And so sometimes you'll hear someone say, When God, when God, when you sin and you're guilty, and God looks at you, he he he, he doesn't see you, he sees the blood of Christ covering you. And that's why you're saved. It's a legal fiction. Sometimes it's called justification is a legal fiction. I don't like that because fiction means not true. Okay. And, and what I think it is, is when we sin uh, and God looks at us, he sees Christ. He sees Christ. We are part of the body of Christ and he forgives us in these sins. And one day we'll be cleansed of those sins. But the reason we have redemption is because we're in Christ. If we're not in Christ, Christ said this in, in John, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you're not in the vine, then, then you'll be thrown away, you'll pruned out and thrown away and, and burned in the fire. We must be in Christ. So there is none of this, I prayed once and accepted Christ into my life and it makes no difference in my life. That's, that's an impossibility, okay? So there, there, you have to be in Christ. There has to be an activity. In, in, in so, but the beauty is we're in Christ. We are in Christ. And, and that's wonderful. So, so um, I'm going to end here. We'll go into chapter 3 next time. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4. Um, because the world gets off to a rough start and it gets rougher very quickly. Um, but we have good news. We've been redeemed by Christ uh, in the fullness of time, born of a woman. Um, Christ came and redeemed us, just as the promise was made in this chapter. So it has happened. And so we can rejoice in that. I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. We thank you for your great love to us. We thank you for never giving up always persevering, always running towards us um, and reaching out to us and um, badgering us at times just to come to you, to, to come back, to love you, to acknowledge our sins, to acknowledge uh, our faults, to acknowledge our rebellion and to say, I, I want you, I want you in my life, I want you more than anything. Thank you for that. And thank you for your spirit that seals us. I pray that you would uh, draw us closer to you and continue to fill us with your spirit. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.